0: I was, um, oh, oops. I was just um, I was coming up those steps, and I was just thanking God for the little things. Uh, for you, coming up steps may not seem like very much, but when you had five knee surges, both knees replaced, the hip replaced, and you can remember when you couldn't hardly get up the steps, uh, man, that felt good <laughs> to, just, uh, to just be able to get there. Uh, I'm looking forward to visiting with you, Um, and I I want to start out by saying something that I did not say the first time. If you listened to that, you heard me say that when I was growing up, I didn't really know anyone that lived like a Christian. I read, I'd been in church, and I knew how Christians were supposed to live. I just didn't see anybody doing that, and I thought it was a fallacy. I said, man, well, you can't live that way. There's no way you can live that way until I went to college and met my college coach. And then I saw him live that way every day. And, and I wanted to say that to you because sometimes you're misled, especially by people who say they are Christians when they actually aren't. And that's a hard thing for us to say to someone are you really a Christian? But the Bible doesn't have any difficulty in saying that. In fact, in Titus, it says that with their mouth they profess they know me, but by their deeds they deny me. So we know that that's not always the case. Uh, What I want to do tonight is to, to talk to you about racial reconciliation, but I want to approach it by starting out with why it should be that way. It's just natural. There are things that God has already put in place that we're not aware of. And we saw that in the 17th chapter of Acts, where Paul goes in and he sees all the, the many gods that are there, and not only that, he sees one that says to the unknown God. So he says, I perceive that you are very religious, but there's a difference in being religious and being a follower of Christ. In fact, I hate to say this, sometimes I get so frustrated by the term Christian and the way some some Christians handle themselves that I think, I don't know if I want to be called a Christian. (laughs) Maybe I prefer to be called a follower of Christ or a disciple of Christ, a disciple, one who follows the teachings of another. In fact, you follow the teachings of another until you get to the point where you even start to look like them. That's how much they impact you. And that's the way we should be impacted by Christ. But what Paul does is he says to them, let me tell you about this unknown God. And he starts out by telling him, that this unknown God created everything, all men, that from one man he created every nation of people on the earth. And then it says, for what purpose that they may seek him? See, God always has a plan. God is the master of details. If you want to know someone that has every detail covered, then when you know Christ, you know someone that leaves nothing to chance. In fact, the scripture says... um, Sometimes I remember, sometimes I don't, but I'm pretty sure it's over in Isaiah chapter 46. That um, it says, God said he did this, that he adorned, he, he ordained the end from the beginning. Now I want you to understand what that means. That means from the very beginning here, God said, Let me tell you what it's going to look like over here. Only God can do that. And when you see him do that in scripture, and you struggle to believe he's God, there's a problem, okay? And one thing he did was he created all men from one man, Adam. He breathed into Adam the breath of life. And it says that man became a living soul. Adam was molded from the earth. And that's why when man sinned, God was able to make this statement. From dust you came, and from dust you shall return. And it's been exactly like that. See? God is so in so control that when man sinned to the point where every intention of his heart was sin, and we see that in, um, in Genesis chapter 6, then we see that God decides that he's going to discipline man and he's going to do it with this great thing called the flood. But he pulls Noah aside, and the Bible says that Noah was a righteous man. And in those verses you start to see some of the first indications of what grace looks like because of Noah's righteousness not only was Noah and his wife saved but also Noah's sons and their wives and for this purpose that they would go forward after the flood and multiply the earth and he told them that if you look at Genesis chapter 9 you'll see him speak about that several times that from the sons of Noah, these three sons of Noah Ham Shem, and Japheth, that God would populate the whole world. The whole world. Every nation of people, every tribe of people, every tongue of people came from the loins of those three sons. Now, I want you to get that and understand what that means. That means that those of you sitting here, you're all cousins. How about that? You are all the result of three brothers' children, not Noah but his three sons. So you're all relatives. And it doesn't matter what your nationality is or your ethnicity is, you're all in the lineage of Noah and his three sons. See? Because of man's pride and wanting to build a tower that would reach up to heaven and God had to say, mm, we're not going to do that. So he stops it. And because they all spoke the same language, He gave them different languages and scattered them out across the world. And the result of that was all these different nations and nationalities that we have. But they are all one blood physically. And I want you to really get that part now. They're one blood physically. Okay, now, having given you that, let me stop here for a moment because I forgot to do something I wanted to do at the very beginning. I wanted to give you a definition of the Christian life because it's really important. The life of Christ reproduced in me by the power of the Holy Spirit in an obedient response to the Word of God impacting every area of my life. When you become a believer, every area of your life is impacted by the power of God through the Holy Spirit that's working in you, leading you to be obedient. Don't ever forget that. Every part of your life, without exception. Okay? Now, the other thing is I wanted to give you a nugget and the nugget is this. You can put it on the chalkboard. I think that's what you all do. Now, I call them nuggets and the nugget is this. What God touches, he transforms. Whenever God touches something, it changes. He touched the, the earth and put his hand and his stamp on the earth and the results were that was a man. Anything God touches. He changes. He transforms it. Okay. And we see that clearly when we look at the importance of it when we look at Romans. And as you go through the book of Romans and you get through the first 10, uh, 11 chapters, and then you get to chapter 12, and it says that I beseech you brothers by the mercies of God that you present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable act of service. And then he says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the perfect will of God is. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you change your mind? How do you renew your mind? You do it by studying the Word of God. That's how you renew your mind. That's how you change your mind. That's how you learn what truth is and you learn what truth is to the point that you are not easily persuaded by what other people say because what they say contradicts what God's Word says. And we know that God's Word is true, so it doesn't matter what someone else says. If it contradicts the Word of God, it's not what you're supposed to pay attention to. That's really not complicated, okay? Study, 2 Timothy 2.15, study. Show yourself approved unto God, a workman neither not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. I want to say something to you that I did not say to the other group because sometimes you sit and you start to think about what you said and was there something that was really important that maybe you should have said that you didn't say. And so um, one of the things that I want to mention to you is this. My biggest concern for the church is that we are on an anemic diet of God's Word. I want you to think about that. We are on an anemic diet of God's Word. So when it says that man shouldn't live by bread alone, but by every word received from the mouth of God, that's not what we're doing. Because we don't spend time in the Word of God daily. We don't spend time in the Word of God. We don't, I'm not talking about just reading it now. I'm talking about studying it. I'm talking about absorbing it. Understanding what it's being said, because it changes your life, and it changes your life permanently. And when you read that, you understand, for example, that we are all of one blood physically. But the other thing that happens is this: As you continue to read and study, you learn that we are of one blood spiritually, Which is even more important. See? We're one blood spiritually because we all enter into the family of God by the same means, and that's the blood of Christ. Tucked over in that little book called Leviticus, it makes a statement about blood, and it says that the life is in the blood, and the life is identified by the blood, and as long as there's blood, you have life, but when you remove the blood, you remove the life. We know that to be true physically, don't we? Okay? We sinned, and there's a penalty for sin that's called death. And the only way that we could be forgiven of our sins is a, the penalty had to be paid. That penalty was paid by Jesus Christ. I call him the great reconciler. Everybody else calls him the Messiah he is, but I like to call him the great reconciler. I like the fact that he was, it was prophesied that he was coming. And he was coming to reconcile the world to himself. And we get all of that over in the Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, that prophecy now becomes fulfilled. And we start to see what God's doing in the person of Christ. And we see what happens when Christ dies on the cross, and we by faith believe and trust in the atoning work of Christ, then we too are saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 talks about that. How you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourself it's a gift of God. See, not a work lest any man should boast. And then it says, and we are his workmanship, created unto Christ Jesus, unto good works, which he ordained beforehand that we would walk in them. And let me tell you what some of those good works are, one in particular. One of those good works is loving your neighbor. Loving someone who doesn't look like you. Caring about someone who doesn't look like you. But that's all a result of the penalty being paid by Christ. And now I believe that. I trust in that. And I live my life based on that. And that's what you do. See, Every nation, tribe, and tongue enters into the kingdom the same way. By the blood of Christ. One blood... Physically, as a descendant of Noah and his sons, but then one blood spiritually, as a descendant of Jesus Christ. The scripture says that we are all baptized into one body by the Holy Spirit. We're all placed into one body. That's a big deal. You've got to understand that. I want you to think about this. How many of you know the story of the prodigal son? I'm sorry, not the prodigal son, but the good Samaritan. You know that story? Remember, who was the guy that helped the the traveler that had fallen into distress? Who was it? Do you remember? Who was it? And what do you know about the Samaritans? Were they liked? Not at all by the Jews. (laughs) Chris? I had this crazy thought, (laughs) what if we told this story in church and instead of the Samaritan being the one that helped him, he was a black man, Huh? wouldn't that be a good one, one. it would be a great one, because at the end of that story the question is asked is this, who was his neighbor, (laughs) now how would you like it if it was a black man and they were saying who was your neighbor, I bet you that would turn some heads. Somebody would probably think that there was a mistake made when the Scripture was being written because that's the way we think. It is. That's the way we think. And the reality is this. God has commanded that, one, we love Him above every love in our life. The commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your heart, But see, we can't do that because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We can't do that because the heart is a problem. It was a bad heart that created the problem when God had to come and bring about the flood because every intention of man's heart was evil and evil only. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. See, Your heart, that innermost part of you, is problematic. And it's problematic because it doesn't know God. It doesn't know the love of God. So it's a problem. So we got to change your heart. And the only way we're going to change your heart is by the grace of God. See? And God knew that your heart needed to be changed. He knew that he needed to touch you so that he could transform you. a transformation needed to take place. He needed to take out the old stony heart and give you a heart of flesh and cause you to walk in his ways. That's what he needed to do. And how was he going to do that? He was going to do it by, first of all, reconciling you to himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things are passed away and all things become new. And if that's not enough, he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the ministry of reconciliation. And I'm going to give you the word of reconciliation, the gospel, so that you not only understand how to be reconciled to me and man should be reconciled to me, but also how you should become reconciled to each other. Because the first step is to become reconciled to God. Until you become reconciled to Him, you don't have it within you to be reconciled to your neighbor. You can't do it. You don't have the Holy Spirit living in you. The Holy Spirit, whose purpose, according to Jesus in, in John I'm sorry, in, um, in John 16, is to glorify Jesus. He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he will glorify me. And he's going to be in you. And he's going to cause you to be able to walk in my ways. He's going to call you to remember the things that I've taught you. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And when the Holy Spirit is doing that in your life, you know what's happening? Not only is the Holy Spirit glorifying God, but you're glorifying God because you're being who God created you to be. And you're doing what God created you to do. See, Whatever God touches, he transforms. That's what he does. And you can look at scripture in a lot of different places and you can see that happen. Where God touched the lives of people and their lives changed. He transformed Moses. Who he used to bring the people out of of Egypt. He transformed Paul. On the road to Damascus. See, all through the Scripture, you see God over and over and over again transforming everything that He touches. There's no exception to that. When God touches it, He transforms it. When God touches you, we call it justification. Uh, what is that? Romans chapter five. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. He starts to talk about the justification. And then you go into Romans 6, and he starts to talk about your sanctification. See how that works? Knowing this, if our old self was crucified with him, see, then what happens? you no longer be a slave to sin. He starts to transform you into a holy and righteous vessel. That's what God does. And part of that transformation is your ability to love people who don't look like you. That's really important. I want to, um, I want to give you this example. Um, when you look in Ephesians, you see a situation um, in chapter 2 where Paul talks about how through the blood of Christ, the Jew and Gentile became reconciled. For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn... That didn't sound right. You know why? Because I'm in Galatians. (laughs) That that doesn't doesn't work. But at least I knew it didn't sound right. Okay. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. One of the things that troubles me the most is when I deal with people who profess to be something that they're not. And I told you, Titus talks about that. With their mouth, they profess to know him, but by their deeds, they deny him. That bothers me because it doesn't speak well of believers. And the world at large only know what you say. See, they pay more attention to what you say than what you do. We need to be paying attention to what people do, because what they do is a result of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we see there in uh, Ephesians 2:13, we were brought near by the blood of Christ, because it's the blood of Christ that represents his death that signifies that our sins have been paid for. And that's really important. It talks about the love of God and how, bright, how I'm sorry, how wide and how deep. The word of God, the love of God is. And that's really important for us to know. <clears throat> but here's what I want to leave with you. And I really want you to think about this because you are the church, the body of Christ, that's you. Second Timothy says that the church is the pillar and supporter of the truth. So we should all be about the truth. Okay? And we should all be about glorifying God. That should be our heart's desire, is to have this love relationship with God where in everything that we do, we do to glorify Him. In Ephesians chapter 3, at the end, it makes this statement. It says, Now to him who is able to do more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. What he's referring to is the unifying work that God is able to do, the unifying work that God is able to do, how he's able to take people from all nations, tribes, and tongues and bring them together under the blood of Christ to be one happy family. That's what God does. and Because God does that, then we should glorify him, and I like to think of it this way. I like to think of the church as being the theater for the glory of God. The world is watching you. You're the theater. You're the one that's on stage. So the world is watching you to see how you live your life. And if the things that God says about a changed life are actually true, does love actually result from salvation? Do you get to the point where when the scripture says you know you've passed from life to death because you love the brethren. Then we look at the church and we see the church loving people who don't look like them, sharing the gospel with people who don't look like them, bringing people to Jesus who don't look like them. And when the world sees the church doing that, then God becomes glorified by the church. That's you. That's me. The church, the body of Christ. Here's what we can't do. We can't say we love God and then hate our neighbor. We can't do that. You can't say you love God whom you've not seen when you hate your brother whom you have not seen. The scripture says that you're a liar. See, the challenge to you is going to be what's the church going to look like as you get older when you're the one's that are doing what Chris is doing or what I'm doing, when you're not out there where you are now because your role has changed, when your role changed, will you be a reconciler? Will you have been a reconciler? Are you a reconciler now? Here's the great change. God made him who was not sinned to be sin so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That's powerful. That's the transformation that's taken place. That's the transformation, that we become the righteousness of God in Christ. And when you do that, life changes. It changes for you. It changes for the other people. Because what God did, was he reconciled man to himself, and then he reconciled man to man. And he was able to do that for this simple reason. When he changes man, he allows man to love the way that he loves unconditionally. And when he allows you to love the way he does unconditionally, then he allows you to be able to forgive unconditionally. Forgiveness very seldom comes where there is no love and especially real forgiveness. The kind that your sins are put as far away as the east is from the west. That's the relationship you've got to have. We've got to have that relationship. You've got to have that relationship. I have to be able uh, as, as a black individual I have to be able to forgive those who have not treated me well. And I, can't, I don't need to ask them for anything in return. I'm going to end on this. Chris, this, you, you, I don't know why I thought of this, but um, I don't believe in reparations. Now, some of you might. I don't believe in reparations. Reparations to me is not a testimony of real forgiveness. Real forgiveness says I don't need anything. I'm going to forgive you because God forgave me, and I don't need you to give me anything in return. That's the way I look at it, and also because I understand Ezekiel chapter 18. That helps me to understand it also. I'm glad to see you all here. Chris, uh, I know it's Super Bowl night, but believe me, I'd rather do this than watch the Super Bowl. If this impacts someone and changes someone's life, that's more important than who wins the Super Bowl. They'll play a Super Bowl again next year.